I'm here. There you are. That's Hot my mic. intro. Hot what do you That's it. Get props, everybody. <laughs> That's so very me. All right. That was me that made those awful noises. Story of my life. I don't know what that means. That's, that's kind of weird. So, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm weird. I'm awkward. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys seem like the last time I preached. Wow, okay. We got a little applause. The last time I preached, I remember I, I like sat down and I was like, hey, everyone, how are you guys doing? And the room was just kind of like, eh. I don't know. And it feels like this morning you guys are like, I'm in. Let's do this, right? It's the sun. See, I don't understand that. I don't like the sun. I avoid the sun. I go... Oh. Far out of my way, I moved to the Pacific Northwest to not have to deal with the sun. <laughs> well, this week, the staff and I, uh, we just did the Foursquare International Convention, which was awesome. It was amazing. It was my first time going to International Convention, uh, and I went to Life Pacific College, which is the Foursquare Bible College, and so I got to see all my friends that I went to college with that are now serving in ministry and doing really cool things for God. And I got to see my pastors that I, I like learned how to lead worship with. There's a, a, a pastor that uh, I used to lead worship at a church in Southern California, and then we'd go running the next day, and he'd be like, Kevin, the word you gave was great, but cut your words in half. And then I would do it, and they'd be like, that was great, you cut your words in half, now cut your words in half. <laughs> Good job. You did that, now cut your words in half. So believe it or not, what you get now is me cutting my words in like a third. <laughs> it's crazy. But it's cool. And I also, I got this, this Life Pacific shirt. I love my college, but they don't have an online store. So if I want to get life swag, I have to go to Foursquare events or like go to Southern California. So I'm so excited for this shirt. So I was like, I know it's like casual. It's more casual than we typically do on stage, but I just got to represent, man. It's awesome. And so the, uh, the cool thing about convention was that I wasn't in charge of anything. It, it was so cool. So like, like, the PowerPoint would happen, and, like, during worship, the, the words wouldn't come up on stage. And I was like, not my problem. I don't care. That's fine. Someone else has to deal with that. Like, there was a video, and the video was, like, a second and a half out of sync. It was so distracting. But it was like, oh, see, everyone in the back right now knows, like, test your videos before church starts. But I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to deal with that because I'm not here for that. I just got to sit and enjoy. It was awesome. Everything technical that happened, there was a, every now and then, and I'd just be like, so glad I'm not in charge. I just get to <laughs> sit, relax, enjoy. And so I got to enter into worship in a way that I don't actually get to do here, because here I kind of always have to have uh, my eye open, and I have to see what's going on, and make sure the sound is working, and make sure the lights and everything. I'm just in charge of so much that I can't fully, like, disengage from the room and enter into worship. And I could there. And I was struck by two um, themes that happen in worship. The first was sort of the theme of worship this morning, which was God is amazing. He's huge. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made us. He made the world. He made galaxies and stars. And, oh, he's huge. And he also made blades of grass and the hair on your head and microorganisms and the, the little things. He's amazing, incredible, and worthy of praise for that alone. And so there's that theme that I was like, man, God, that's awesome. And then the other theme of worship that just kept coming up over and over and over, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down, lie he won't tear down coming after me. In all of my brokenness, all of my sin, all of my shame, 
this God who's bigger than everything, created everything, cares for me. So I was a mess in worship. I cried almost the entire time, all four days. <laughs> I'm just like, God really loves me. <laughs> Which like, I went to Bible college, I've been a Christian since 2001. This shouldn't be like a new revelation, but it just hit me in this like amazing way that it hasn't been in a long time. And isn't that amazing? That's, what, that's where we live. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth chooses us, loves us. Our life is different when we're with Jesus, isn't it? It's transformed, it's made new. And your family needs to know that. Your friends need to know that. Bellevue needs to know that. Your neighbors need to know this transformative power of Jesus. They need to know that God is huge and awesome and amazing and also that he cares for them. Oh, it's so good. And that, that takes so many forms, right? So for some of us, we hear what I just said, that, God, that Bellevue wants to know, your neighbors want to know, your friends and family need to know them. And you go, okay, got it. So there's evangelism, that thing we've been talking about for the past month or so. Really the thing that we've been talking about since Jesus was on earth. But what Lake Sam's been talking about for the last month or so. <laughs> We're a little behind. For, for other people, we go, okay, I'm going to invite them to the Sunday gathering where the church gathers. They're going to experience the presence of God, and that will do it. Then they'll, they'll know him. And that's totally fine. For some people, it's conversation. It's taking people out to coffee, inviting them into your home, having dinner, sharing life together. For some, it's counseling people. For some, it's uh, uh, prayer. For some, it's operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And having God move in a miraculous way to those people. So it takes all these different forms and there's no formula for it. Each person's different. And God is going to ask you to do something different for every relationship in your life. And so for me, when I think of all of those different elements of, okay, evangelism. Okay, there's inviting people to church. Okay, there's conversation, counseling, all those things. Where do I fit? What's my role? And for me, not surprisingly to most people here, I think of myself as the worship guy. You're all shocked. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> but I've been leading worship since I was 16 years old. I got saved when I was 14. And almost immediately, I started playing bass on the worship team. Bass was my first instrument. my first love. Thank you, fellow bass player. That's why I'm so hard on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been playing bass forever. And when I was 14, I remember I was playing bass, and I felt like the Lord was asking me to start learning how to lead worship. So she means I had to learn how to play guitar and how to sing. And I remember there was a worship practice where I was standing on the stage, and I was playing bass, and there was a microphone maybe, maybe there to me. It wasn't plugged in. It wasn't on. And I remember that I watched the sound tech, and he came from behind the board, walked around, came up front, grabbed the mic, and moved it to the other side of the stage. <laughs> and I was like, I was, it was like just jarring. It was strange, because that doesn't usually happen in, in youth worship practice. And so afterwards, I came up to him and was like, hey, what was that about? Like, what were you doing with that mic? And he went, oh, uh, I just didn't want you to get any ideas. Because when I was 14, I was bad. I was a bad singer. I was terrible. My influences were like Nirvana, Metallica, like in that realm. I, because I was a new Christian, I listened to, to rock music. And so like, I didn't know how to sing. I, I certainly couldn't sing like, I was like, here I am to worship. Like, no. No one wants that. So I understand why they moved the mic. But then at 16, sure enough, I was leading worship in youth group. I was playing guitar and leading. And I still wasn't a good singer. 
Thank you. Okay. So, so what you say? That's because you go to Lake Sam. <laughs> I'm a singer here. I can say that. Is a, I've gone on this worship journey where I've learned how to sing, and I'm not going to win any awards anytime soon. I, I know where I, where I am in the hierarchy of singing, but I'm pretty good. I know how to sing. I know how to lead people in worship. I know how to lead teams uh, to facilitate that worship. I know how to create sacred space for God's people to worship. So I just sort of assumed when we talk about the kingdom of God, what God's calling me to do, uh, where's my uh, role in leading people to know the love of God, I just go, I'm a worship guy. That's what I do. And I also, I've done a lot of like personality tests, strengths finders is a big thing at Lake Sam that we do, and it's super helpful. And I've learned, and everyone, people who know me already know this, that things that I'm really good at is connecting with people. I'm really good at building teams. I'm really good at, at building relationship with people and making them feel loved. And for me, I love leading worship, but I come alive when I coach someone else how to lead worship, and they succeed. Oh, I love that. I can, I, can, I can lead worship, that's fine, but that makes me come alive in a new way. I'm also good at brainstorming ideas. I love ideas. And I have, I have in my strength finders, I have connectedness, and it says, you find connections in seemingly unrelated ideas and bring them together. And if you know me, you know this is true, and especially if you've heard me preach before, because you're like, yeah, you've used Doctor Who and Pokemon <laughs> to talk about God's kingdom. So yeah, I could take unrelated ideas and bring them together. That's where I'm good. That's where I, I kind of live in that zone. But if you want to be frustrated, ask me to create an implementation plan. <laughs> ask me to execute an idea, right? Or if you really want me to be frustrated, we've just brainstormed all these ideas, and I'm the, if you want me to be the guy that's like the influencer to like, all right, we got this idea, and let's tell everyone how awesome it is. <laughs> Right, I suck at that. <laughs> I'm terrible at that. You know who's really great at that? Adam Carpenter. So if, if we generate an idea and then I go like tell some people and then he goes and tells some people, all the people that he told are on board, all the people I've told are like, what are we even doing? I don't understand. <laughs> like I just feel like a child explaining to my parents why I shouldn't have to go to bed. It's just, ugh. But, but it's, but I want it, but you, you should go. Yeah, it's just not good. <laughs> I'm just not good at that. It's not a strength I have. And, and I've become somewhat proficient. Like, I can, I can, I'm not, like, so disorganized. I can implement some stuff. Like, we're, we're all humans. We don't just get to live in this, like, weird zone. But I'll never be as good at that as Adam is. I never will. And I never, I, when you watch him do it, you're like, yeah, that, he's good at that. I'm not, and I'll never be that. So Kurt and I have been having these kind of conversations for the, a few years, really. Uh, and it's, it's, since I've been on staff at Lake Sam, it's been the few mo of, last few months has kind of ramped up this conversation. And even the last few weeks, we've had even more. And the, the nature of this conversation is uh, sort of what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> Which I will probably constantly ask because of who I am. Uh, and I, it's sort of like, what is my role? What do I see myself in the future? What's, what do I want to do in church? And just to preface, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, like, I'm not leaving like Sam. I'm not changing my role here. But it's just good to think about, like, what's God called me to be? What's God asking me to do? What's my role? And again, I always just sort of assumed I'd be doing what I'm doing now. And as the church grew, I assumed I'd be doing more like worship type things, right? That just kind of fits where I'm at. And I sort of like had this thought of maybe I could do senior pastoring at some point. Maybe I could take a church. I don't know. Uh, and then I went, nah, I don't think that's, that's really that great. I think, I think worship is where I want to live. 
And at one point, uh, recently, Kurt uh, had me over at his house, and he was like, this is a paraphrase, so don't like talk to him and be like, why did you say that? Because he may not have actually said these words, but this is just what I remember from the conversation. Was, he said, you should not be a worship pastor. You will never be a fantastic, phenomenal worship pastor. You should not do that. You should be a teacher. You should be a pastor. That's where you should live. And the worship stuff should be like a value add. Like, when you're applying at other churches, like, who are you and what can you do? Oh, I'm a teacher and a pastor that can also do worship if you need. And to be honest, that conversation really messed me up. My, my roommate and my wife, those are two different people right now, uh, <laughs> they both observed, they're like, wow, Kevin, you've really gotten messed up because of this conversation. I've, I've like been spiraling out of control. It's been bad. I'm going, well, who am I then? I thought I was a worship guy. I've like trained for years to do that. And if you look at my strengths, my gifts, my talents, my personality, I would never be a good senior pastor. I don't have the right tools in my, this toolbox that is me. So I'm just going to stay in my lane and just continue to do what I've already done. This is about identity, isn't it? Really, this is a question of who am I and how am I defining what I can do? And it's really interesting about me because of my, good, my ability to connect with people. I can look at someone and I can say, I see where you're at and I know what you can be. In five, ten years, I know exactly what God can do through you. And I get in trouble for this where I'm like, this person is going to be incredible. Let's have them put them on the stage. And people are like, whoa, hold on. Because <laughs> where they're at now, they won't be successful, but I can see where they're going. And I, and I, can, I know that they're going to be awesome. And that's just who I am. But when I look at myself, I can't do that at all. I go, I can't see my future one bit. All I can see is that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. All I can do is what I'm doing. All I can do is the thing that I've just worked super hard at to be proficient at so people don't move the microphone away. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I bring to the table. So I have no idea how God would want to use me in any other way except what I'm already doing. So I'm just going to take my guitar, I'm going to do my best, and then I'm going to go home. And then I remember, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. This morning, we're having a battle for our identity. There's lies that we've believed that are preventing us from doing the things that God has asked us to do and be the people that God has called us to be. And this morning, I think God wants to tear down those lies. So let's pray. We have Tamara praying for us. Thank you, Tamara. Pray for me. Pray for us. Lift up another church. Pray for your youth kids if you want. I don't care. I'll wait. Father, you fill us up. Thank you you are our identity. And your water and your spirit comes in and we overflow with you. Mm. And those rivers of water, they touch the person across the table from us or sitting next to us or our workmate. That's evangelism. It's you overflowing out of us. 
and nothing gets in the way of you pursuing us to fill us up. So God, may we hear your voice today. Thank you, God. May we feel your fullness inside us in all of our empty places because this world needs you and you want to use us. Thank you, God. Speak to us who we are in you. May we hear you are mine. May your words come out of Kevin. Just your words, your identity. And I, I pray for the church, um, New Heights down in Vancouver, mm, that you will fill them up as well. Be our overflow. In your name, amen. Amen. So as I was driving to church this morning, I was like, oh, the sermon I'm preaching is basically the plot of Moana. So if you didn't like me, just go home and watch Moana and you'll get the point. So when I, we're talking about identity and I'm talking about who I am and how I define myself and what God has allowed to do through me because of how I've defined myself, and God led me to this passage in Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, listen, I say this about every book of the Bible I preach. Ephesians is the best book of the Bible. It's my favorite. And again, I know I've said that about Colossians, I've said that about Isaiah, I've said that about Amos, I've said that about books that you've never even heard of that are actually in the Bible that are minor prophets. I love the Bible, I love all of them, but Ephesians just has this like special place in my heart. It's where God first started showing me who he is and who I am as a result. So we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're going to do about 11 verses today, and notable Paul is writing this letter, and it's originally, the New Testament is written in Greek, and it's been translated to English for our sake. And in the Greek, these 11 verses are one long run-on sentence. And so as you read this and you see, like, punctuation, we added that. And there was, I was reading this commentary that was like, this whole thing is a run-on sentence, but we felt like we needed punctuation so the audience didn't go crazy. <laughs> You're welcome. So in Ephesians... Chapter 1, verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Now it goes on, but hold on. Already Paul is, making, is saying something pretty interesting to the Ephesian church. See, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus, uh, the Ephesian people were a people who were very accepting of worldviews that were not their own. And it was a port town. So people would come, uh, they'd, they'd take a ship into Ephesus, and they'd bring with them like, hey, I brought coffee and cows or whatever you would bring in a ship to Ephesus. And also, I brought some idols. And they're like, cool, what do your idols do? And they're like, oh, well, we, we sacrifice to those idols, and uh, the, we get traveling mercies. Like, oh, cool, let's add that to our collection. We don't have a God that does traveling mercies. Cool, that's awesome. And, so, and they would have gods over regions and over cities and over buildings. And so to like contextualize this, imagine if we said, there's a God of this building. I mean, there is a God, it's Yahweh, but just for the sec, just assume that we don't have that worldview. So there's this, this God over this building, and if you pray to that God, you get a really good parking spot. No one's going to park too close to you. And the, yeah, right? Seems pretty good. You're like, I'm ready to sacrifice to that idol. No, don't do that. <laughs> That's the point he's trying to make. So 
we have this God over this building, but then there's also a God of like crossroads, the crossroads area generally. And that's who you pray to bless your food uh, and that make sure that it doesn't like kill you because we don't have to deal with that unless we get super sketchy fast food. But they had to deal, that was a reality. They prayed that the food wouldn't kill them. And then like beyond that, there'd be like the Bellevue God that you'd pray to, which let's be honest, that's Microsoft, right? <laughs> there. They're the Microsoft God, but you'd like make a sacrifice to the, the Bellevue God and you'd get like an Xbox or I don't know. I don't know what you get from that God. And then there'd be a God of like the Pacific Northwest that like was the God of hipster glasses and music you've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I love hipsters. I make fun of them, but I love them. They're great. Uh, and then beyond that, you have a God of uh, the United States and you have a God of North America and you have a God of the earth. And each one of those had more power, and each one of those gave you a different thing. And what Paul is saying here is that the God that we serve is in the heavenly realms. He's like, essentially what he's saying is, my God is bigger than your God. In fact, my God's bigger than all your gods. My God could beat up your God. Wouldn't even be close. And because he's in the heavenly realms, he's the largest, he's the hugest one. He's over all the things. And also, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So the, he's not just the God of the parking spot. He's not just the God you pray over your food. He's not just the God of the hipster glasses. He's all of them. He's given you everything that you need. So then Paul continues on. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So he uses this interesting word to describe us. He adopts us. So in Roman culture... Life didn't start, we have this debate about does life start at conception, does life start at birth? I'm not entering into that debate. The Romans had, were, were like, I see that and I raised it one. Life began at adoption. So when you were born, you weren't actually alive yet. You were brought before your parents and your parents would decide, do you want to adopt this child into your family? And it was horrible because if there was anything wrong, they could say, nah, and they'd cast you aside. So every child had to be adopted by their family. And in Roman culture, you also had uh, people who were like orphans and uh, people who needed a family unit, or you had a family who needed an heir, and they would adopt them, and the process was exactly the same. And it's interesting because in, to a Roman, to be a natural-born person, your family could disown you. But if you were adopted, you were special. They chose you. So you could never be forsaken if you were adopted. If you were natural born, who knows? Depends how you're performed. But if you were adopted, you were special. And here, God is saying, you know, they didn't even present you to me. I didn't even have to look at you. Before the creation of the world, before you did anything, I knew what was going to happen. I knew who you would be, and I decided to adopt you. I decided that you were mine. You were part of my family. Nothing else matters. See, in the, so that's the, how the Roman worldview, to the Hebrew worldview, genealogy is everything. We are so individualistic in our culture 
that I want to be known and I want to be, have uh, my reputation be based on what I do and, and who I am and how I perform and the things I'm good at. I want to kind of sit on my own. But the Hebrew people weren't like that. They were familial. And so what you did reflected on your family unit. What you did reflected on the people that came before you, which is why we skip over the genealogies because they're super boring. But to them, they were saying, no, this is, I'm actually making a claim here. This is important. When Matthew is writing Jesus' genealogy, he says, this is the son of David, King David, the good king, the one that we all want to be like. And then he goes, yeah, that was, that's who Jesus is a lineage of. But also, he goes back to Abraham, all the way back to Abraham when the first time God said, you're going to be my people. So Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew is making this claim that Jesus is like, is, is his family. That's who Jesus represents. And when Jesus steps up, it's, he's not just some guy from Galilee. He's not like some random rabbi. He's David's kid. He's Abraham's kid. Listen, that makes sense. And Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the genealogy of Luke is so interesting because Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Adam and Eve, the original the original power couple. <laughs> because Luke is trying to do something with his gospel. He's trying to say all of the earth, all of creation, everything, Jesus has mastery over. Jesus is redeeming, reconciling all of that. That's what Luke is trying to say. So he makes this geneal- genealogical claim that puts Jesus back to Adam. So who you, who you are matters. What family you're a part of matters. And here... Who's our family? Who do we represent? Who has chosen us to be their child? It's God. It's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. We, who are Gentile people, we're not Jews in this room. Most people, I don't think. And yet yet God said, yeah, that one. I'll take that one. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. I'll adopt that one. My family now. You represent me. And uh, it's going to continue Yeah, it's going to continue. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So if I were in Bible college right now, I'd say, oh, he used the word so, which is an action result, which this is called... uh, What's it called? I always got this wrong in college. Literary analysis, something like Discourse analysis. It's a thing. You're like trying to figure out why is this sentence happening after. But really what this is saying is like, hey, we're his, we've been adopted into his family. How does that work exactly? He's rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. This is like the salvation message, isn't it? It's like Jesus or God sacrificed his son so that we could be part of the family. In a way, I didn't think of this until just this moment. In a way, Jesus is like that natural son. And he's casting him aside so that way we can be adopted. Wow. That's incredible. But then he continues. Again, remember, this is one long run-on sentence. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. By the way, if anyone tells you that, like, God's plan is a mystery, just read them this, because it's really not. There's not as many mysteries as we think. There's a lot of mysteries, but not as many as we talk about. This is the plan. 
What's, the, what's this mystery? This is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Oh, did I have an expert? I do. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So what he's saying is that we've been adopted into the family. We are heirs. What does that mean? See, if you were adopted and you became an heir, that meant you're going to take over the family business. You got to get training because you're going to take over the family business one day. And so God is saying here, I've adopted you because you need to do the father's business. I have a plan and you're going to take over the business. So I'm training you. And he's given you a, a gift to prove that you have an inheritance since the Holy Spirit. So what does he want us to do? It says it right there. Bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. He wants people to know him. That's the plan. That's the mystery. That's why we're here. And we get to participate in that. That's the family business. That's what our, this family is about. And so uh, typically, if you were, you were going to bring someone into your family and you were going to give them a, a, a proof of inheritance, you're giving them a small something that says, here's a taste, but there's more. Here's a little just small sample of what your inheritance will be like. So the inheritance that he gives us is the Holy Spirit. And what does that do for us? Well, John said it last week, didn't he? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Maybe there will be in the U.S., but for now. See, he's changing us. He's transforming us. He's making us like him. He's, he's the one that's saying, I see where you are now. And in all your brokenness, all your sin, all your shame, all your I'm not good enough, all your I'm not smart enough, I see that and I'm adopting you. And then I'm transforming you and changing you so you can do the Father's business. That's what, that's, that's it. That's the thing. And here's what I do. This is me. So I say, all right, God, you can speak to me. Whoops, I also dropped direct boxes, apparently. You can speak to me, but I'm a nerd. And I am lazy. I am a millennial, which comes with all its own baggage. <laughs> I am a musician. I am a sinner. I have problems with food addiction. I have problems just in general. You might say, I am a problem. <laughs> and just not good enough. That's who I am. And that's who I am. So if God wants to use me, he kind of gets this zone. 
right? Like here's like the, the music zone where he can use like worship stuff. Up here's like the brainstorming zone where like if you want some good ideas, I can, I can live here. Uh, over here is my people connection zone where if God's calling me to do people connection, that, that's where this is. Up here, I just call it the pizza zone. I don't know if God's going to use that, but I just want to make sure there's a dedicated zone for that. <laughs> I feel like it's important. Everyone needs a pizza zone. That's going to be the biggest amen I get this morning. And so this is the zone where God can use me. But what if God is saying, hey, I want you to evangelize. Hey, I want you to join the VBS team in July. Hey, I want you to be silent before me for a while. Hey, I know you're not that expressive, but I want you to be expressive in worship. Hey, I know you think that you're not whatever, but be a youth pastor. Sorry, God, this is the zone I live. This is it right here. And, And here's his response. There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down coming after me. This is who we are. See, labels are important. It matters. It's helpful. It's really important for my team to know that I'm good at brainstorming. But they're terrible boundary markers. And sometimes God wants me to go over here and live in this space, in this zone. And as long as I have a barrier up, I can't do that. And what he's saying is, you were not this. You were not this. You were not this. You were not that. You're none of those. You're my child. I've adopted you. You're mine. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I'm transforming you. You can be exactly what I want you to be. And as we looked at in verse 3, he's given us everything we need. He says, I don't care if you're a musician. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you're over a certain age and think that it's too late for God to use you. I don't care that you're below a certain age and don't think God can use you. I don't care about that because I've given you the Holy Spirit and that's everything you need. So, here's what I feel like God does. That's a bucket. <laughs> You're welcome. I got you back. So I'm a belong guy. I, uh, if you don't know, at Lake Sam, we had a volunteer appreciation day, and it was for everyone who served, which was like everyone, uh, just about. And we said, you have three bottles, you have thirst, you have belong, you have reach, and they all relate to our one with God, one with one another that the world may know. And we prayed about it and said, uh, God, where would you, what bottle would you have me take that would represent my focus for this next year? And I originally wanted to grab a reach bottle, but I prayed about it and I felt like the Lord was like, no, belong for you. So I'm a belong guy. This is where I've been focusing my energy. And so what I do in, with my life is I go, okay, God, I'm ready. Speak to me. Whatever you want from me, I'll do it. And he's like, all right, I got, you ready for this? Here it comes. Here's what I'm asking you to do. And I'm like, cool, this is awesome. This is really working for me. This is awesome. Uh, wait a minute, hold on. Too much. Oh, no, wait, wait, no, I'm, uh, uh, wait, wait, you're asking me to do what? Ah! There's not enough room in that bottle. What am I going to do? And God's like, well, you wanted it. <laughs> you wanted all. You wanted everything I had for you. So I gave it to you. 
I'm like, but, but this, is, this isn't a big enough bottle for that. It's like, oh, of course, because you're just limiting yourself to the belong bottle. That's your problem. You, there's more. There's, a, there's thirst and there's reach, and this is what God wants us to be. All of the things. I don't know if I could actually pull this off with just two hands. He's saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be thirst. I'm calling you to belong. And I'm calling you to reach. This is your inheritance. This is what you're called to do. It's all of the things. So don't define yourself by a bottle. How stupid is that? (laughs) Don't limit yourself to an orange bottle. You're called to thirst, belong, and reach. You're called to do all of it. Yes, you have a focus. Yes, God is going to ask you to do certain things and not others. Yes, you're going to be good at certain things. Yes, when you have limited time, there is, it makes a lot of sense to do the things that you're good at. But God is going to ask us to do things that we will say, I'm not good at that. I'm not called to that. I'm not whatever. But God's calling is greater than any label, any personality test, any bottle, everything. Because there's no shadow he won't light up mountain he won't climb up coming after me. There's a wall he won't kick down, a lie he won't tear down coming after me. That's who we are. There's a story in the Bible that is one of my heroes, and it's in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And so Queen Esther, if you don't know the story, uh, she was a Jewish person who uh, the queen did a transgression in Persia, and the, so the king was looking for a new queen and found Esther. And so Esther became the queen of Persia. Incredible. And through deception and trickery, a plan was made where the king was sort of fooled into signing an edict that would essentially wipe out the Jewish people. And at the time in Persia, the rule was, once the king has made a decree, no one can undo it, including the king. It's done. And so Esther is in this situation where she's the queen, arguably the most in charge, (laughs) at least in my life. (laughs) So you have the queen, and she's watching as, oh, my people are about to be wiped out. My family is about to be wiped out. What do I do? And she tells her uncle, Mordecai, and like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think I'm just going to hide in the, in the castle. I'm sure it'll work itself out. And here's his response. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is where we get that phrase. Is it possible that you were made for such a time as this? Is it possible? And that's true. Is it possible that you were put here this morning for such a time as this? Were you put at your job for such a time as this? Were you put in Bellevue, or for me in North Bend, or Renton, or Bothell, or wherever you are, for such a time as this? Here's Esther's response. This is why she's my hero. Esther sent this reply, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, in Persia, the king could call for you and then you could come. But if he didn't call, it was illegal for you to approach him. And he could literally say, I'm not in the mood, put you to death. And so this queen is, is, she's not just saying like, I hope this all works out. She's going, I literally could die 
He hasn't asked for me to come into his presence. So if I do, and he's not in a good mood, or I didn't wear enough makeup, or like he had some funny steak the day before, whatever, he literally could tell me, you're dead. And she's saying, you know what? Maybe I am called for such a time as this. So I'm just going to do what I feel like God is asking me to do. And if I die, so be it. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of responsiveness I want to have to the Lord. And when he's calling me to do something, I'm not asking him, I'm not good enough. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that. I'm not just reaching up with my one bottle. But he's going to ask me to do something. I just want to be the kind of guy that says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. And I'm just going to trust the fact that I'm his son. I've been adopted. I'm his. That's who I am. He's training us to do the Father's business. And he's given us everything we need. So Lord, we come before you as your children. And first we say thank you for your love. Thank you that there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up to come after us. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down to come after us and show us how much you care and love us. Thank you that we have to create a a strange way to describe your love. We have to say, man, it's so strange. It's like it's reckless because of how much you love us. So God, we take our labels we take our, the ways we've defined ourselves, we take our brokenness, we take our sin, we take our shame, we take our strengths, our weaknesses, our personality tests, our gift mixes, our history, the things that people have said about us, the things we believe about ourselves, and we throw it all out in your presence here. And we ask you to speak to us. Would you in this room just open up, extend your arms out as if you're offering yourself to the Lord? God, we're yours this morning. Thank you that you've adopted us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us everything we need. And Lord, we take a posture of openness. And we ask you to speak to us, through us, use us. Lord, we want to be like Esther. If we perish, we perish but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Go ahead and reach in front of you and grab the two cups. And the bottom cup is is the bread. And God, we lift this cup to you and we recognize that we are adopted. You chose us, but we're adopted. We're not natural born. And you caused your natural born son to suffer and die on a cross so that we may have life and be adopted into your family. So we reach our finger in that cup and we smash it and crush it because that's what you did for us. And so we thank you. And as we take this cup, we trust in that death and that resurrection and we, and we are secure in the fact that we are your sons and daughters that have called us, you've called us to do mighty things to be part of your business. So let's take that cup this morning. And then we lift up the juice that represents your blood 
And while the body represents your, your crushing, your being crushed, our sin being destroyed, the blood is the thing that washes us clean. So Lord, we thank you that yes, we have strengths, yes, we have weaknesses, yes, we have identity problems, but our sin is gone, washed away because of what you've done, because of your blood. So we thank you and we take this cup. Let's worship. <laughs>